0: Luke chapter 22, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. "'Why are you sleeping?' he asked them. "'Get up and pray.' So that you will not give in to temptation. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought swords And one of them, you guys know which one, don't you? Struck the high priest's servant and slashed off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. And then Jesus spoke to the leading priests and the captains of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance, and the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. And a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began to stare at him, and finally she said, This man is one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, You must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. And about an hour later, someone else insisted, This must be one of them. He's a Galilean, too. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. At daybreak, all the elders of the people assembled, including the leading priests and the teachers of religious law, and Jesus was led before this high council, and they said, tell us. Are you the Messiah? But he replied, If I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the place of power at God's right hand. And they all shouted, So you are claiming to be the Son of God. And he replied, You say that I am. Why do we need witnesses? They said, We ourselves have heard him say it. And then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they began to state their case. This man's been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he is the Messiah, the King. So Pilate asked him, Are you? Are you the King of the Jews? And Jesus replied, You've said it. So Pilate turned to the leading priests and to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Then they became insistent. But he's causing riots with his teaching wherever he goes, all over Judea from Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, he's a Galilean, Pilate asked. When they said that he was, Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem. Herod was delighted with the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and he'd been hoping for a long time to see Jesus, hopefully to see him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law stood there shouting their accusations. And then Herod and his soldiers began to mock and ridicule Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate had been enemies, but on that day, they became friends. Oh, it's a story of reconciliation. Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I've examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence, and I find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion, and he sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So I'll have him flogged, and then I'll release him. Then a mighty roar... rose from the crowd and with one voice, oh, it's a story of unity. So heartwarming. Reconciliation and unity in this story. Isn't it nice? Don't believe the people who say unity is always of the Lord. (sighs) A mighty roar rose from the crowd and with one voice they shouted, kill him! And release Barabbas to us! Barabbas? Was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. <laughs> Sounds like that's today. Yeah, I was actually about to say if you can't find yourself in this story as Barabbas, read more carefully. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they just kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! And for the third time, he demanded, why? What crime has he committed? I found no reason to sentence him to death. I'll have him flogged, and then I'll release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded, and as they requested, he released Barabbas the man in prison for insurrection and murder. But he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. And as they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming from the countryside. The soldiers seized him, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. And a large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken Women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, and the wombs that haven't borne a child in the breast that have never nursed. And people will beg the mountains, Fall on us, and plead with the hills, Bury us. For if these things are done, when the tree is green, What's going to happen when it's dry? And two others, criminals, were let out to be executed with him. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the soldiers mocked him too. They offered him a drink of sour wine, and they called out to him, Hey, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And a sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. You got it, buddy. Yeah. By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that had come to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish High Council, but he had not agreed with the decision and the actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judah, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross, and he wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth, And laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, had begun, so they rested as required by the law. This is the word of the Lord. I remember being a brand new Christian, a brand new Christian, and reading Luke's account and being overwhelmed, just overwhelmed. At the mocking, at the, at the hatred, at the malice, at the mistreatment. And I didn't understand at the time why I was crying so much. I still don't fully grasp what it is about the crucifixion narratives that I, 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 I want to avoid. I don't like them. I didn't like Mel Gibson's movie. I'm not, it's not fun stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away at the capacity... For those women who loved Jesus and who who knew him so well and who, who had experienced so much love from the Father through Jesus, how they didn't back away from his sufferings. They were right with him every step of the way. They did not back away from the brutality. They were there. They could not. They loved him. Love will take you those kind of places. Love will take you those kind of places with people. I just remember reading Luke's account, and I think I was out on the sidewalk, and I just got down on my knees, not because I was like, I should get down on my knees, but just because this is what you suffered, Jesus. This is what we did to you. This is what, and there's something, I, I, you know, you, you grow up hearing that God loves you, singing God loves you, and in Sunday school, you, you're taught that's the answer. That's the right answer to the question. Who is God? God is love. But then I met God and devoted my life to God and and said, okay, I've got a new identity. I've got a new story. My whole life is God. What I wake up in the morning to do is love God. I'm on the planet earth to worship God. I'm here to be a dwelling place for God. And there's something different than when you start to walk with, rearrange your life around, and become familiar with, and have a conversational, heart-to-heart, open, sharing relationship with God. Then you come and you, you read the Bible, and it's, it's, well, I guess as the kids would say, it hits different. That's a weird expression to me as an older guy. Hits different. <laughs> what? And these same stories that I'd I'd heard in church my whole life, suddenly, no, 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 that's my Jesus now. It's different. It's totally different. It's not the Jesus from the paintings. It's not the Jesus from the Catholic little statues and crosses. It's my Jesus. The one I'm walking with, the one who talks to me, they did that to my Jesus. And then I realized it's not just they did that to my Jesus. It's Jesus willingly stepped into that to get Tim's sin off of Tim. That this was not just a tragedy. It was a tragedy. But it was not just a tragedy. That it was purposed. That he knew it was the cup the Father had him drink. He could have ran away. There's times when Jesus tells you and me to run away. When you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. But he set his Face like Flint, Luke chapter 9, toward Jerusalem. Knowing full well this is what they're going to do to me. He knew it. He knew. It's not not the, the tragic ending of the beautiful story. The kingdom's breaking in, miracles are happening, and it's just going so awesome, and the crowds are increasing, and oh my word, here we go, here we go, and then all of a sudden, oh no, snuffed out. He always knew that this had to happen. He always knew he had to fully, fully enter in to our rebellion, our anger, our stubbornness, our willful rejection of having anyone but me in charge of me. That he had to fully enter into the curse To strip that sin off of you and me. But just because he knew he had to do it doesn't mean it did not absolutely scare him. The, the, the point of the Mount of Transfiguration story is not, oh, that's cool, look at that, look at those clothes are glowing white. The point is, he went up the mountaintop to pray because he knew he had this day coming soon. He knew he had this day coming soon. He knew what he was going to face. And it says, on the top of the mountain appeared to him Moses and Elijah. And they were talking with Jesus about his exodus, which was soon to happen. Oh my gosh. That he, he needed encouragement. He need, How will I do this? And who shows up? Moses and Elijah. And they're speaking with Jesus, encouraging him in this hard path of suffering the Father has designed for him. Guys, I don't know what what you believe fully. I don't know what your theology says Jesus has called you to. But you know what 101 says? Whoever wants to be my disciple has to take up their cross and follow me. He didn't just do it so the rest of us don't have to do it. He did it for us so that we could become loved in this relationship perfectly in the status of the the relationship with the Father He has. That is amazing. But He's also called us to follow Him and take up our crosses and say, "Our God, is there any way? Is there any way? Is there any way that we can avoid this? Do I have to really pay this price, Father? You have those moments. I have those moments. This last Wednesday, I released a short little uh, podcast clip. I hope I can say it at least vaguely as well as I did on there. And I asked the question, what is God after? What does he want so often it's like, we know we have need, right? I need a savior. My sin's heavy. I need escape from it. I need release from the guilt of it. I need a friend. I need love. I was made for love. I need a home. I was made to belong. I need an identity. I don't know who I am apart from social engagement. And God's meant to be my home. My family, from whom I gain my name and my identity. And I need all these things. And faith provides all these things. The gospel provides all these things. But very often, if we're honest, if we step back and look at our relationship with God, it's, it's, it's mostly about what we want or what we need. And, and less often do we actually stop to consider what's actually God after? What is God trying to get out of this whole experiment called a universe? or if i could say it in a way that's dangerously close to heresy what does god need and i say dangerously close to heresy because stephen you know right before he gets stoned to death he says we should not imagine that god needs anything the ancient greek idea is we feed the gods with our sacrifices and keep them going Somehow we keep them favorable to us and our sacrifices do something to sort of re-energize them. And Stephen says, that's nonsense, guys. God's the one providing for everyone whether they believe in Him or not. He doesn't dwell in temples, build of hands. He needs nothing. But, but, but... If God is perfect love, if God is perfectly competent love... Can love actually be fulfilled if it is not shared? If it is not known? I have a deep need to be known. Don't you? I have a deep, deep need to be known. So deep. I need somebody to see me deep in who I really am. Flaws and all. Gifts and all of it. And actually love me, not tolerate me, not put up with me, love me. I have a deep need to be known. I've been captured by this prayer in in Ephesians chapter 3 where Paul prays to just the bullseye. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the father in heaven from whom all fatherhood draws its name. All fatherhood is a tiny reflection of God the Father. And I'm, I'm pleading with God to give you the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, not, not, not for physical healing, not for spiritual gifts, for this. Not that those are wrong, but I'm saying this is actually deeper and more important. For you to experience the reality of the depths of God's heart so that his deep, deep, deep affection becomes your lived experience and that that experience roots you, becomes the very source of your existence, your identity, your everything. It roots you so that you're drawing your life from the depths of who God is as love for you, not not a general principle. the the real God in the room, present with you, making heart-to-heart eye contact with you, knowing you, saying your name, understanding your story, crafting you in your mother's womb, knowing the end from the beginning, choosing the time and place in which you live, and wanting wanting you and him to have something so special, so real, so unique that it's sacred and nobody else can get in on it or get around it or get in between the two of you your closest friend, your closest love, the deepest romance and pursuit of your whole life, he wants, Paul wants, the Holy Spirit to make that depth, that known and knowing so real that your life gets rooted in it and grounded, meaning you will be unshakable, immovable. I will be able to handle everything. Not because I'm, oh man, I'm just able to handle everything but because he's sustaining me in it. That's what Paul's praying. And I started thinking about that, that that's the depth of the bullseye, of the target. That's what he's praying for them because he knows if they get that, they're gonna be okay. If I get that, I'm gonna be okay. And I'm asking the question, if that's the deep prayer that we'll know that love? What if that actually resonates with what God's after on His side of the relationship? What does He want? I flipped over to Revelation chapter 21. Oh, man. Just a pro tip, cut everything out of your Bible as soon as you get it that isn't the Bible. The glossary, the definitions, you can leave the maps, but you can leave the index. If you have a study Bible, that's at least half uninspired. Anyway, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, that's you and me. Coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home, God's home. That's you and me. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. It goes on to say there's no night. There's no nighttime. There's no need for lights. There's no temple because God's radiant glory lights up everything. And I'm reading this and I'm going, oh, he finally got it. God finally gets, God finally gets what he's been working for since Genesis 2. He finally gets his dream. His dream's finally fulfilled. This thing he's been working for for thousands of years. This thing he's wanted all along. A people with whom... He can dwell. Hebrews says it was for the joy in front of him, ahead of him, that Jesus endured this cross. Well, not this one, the cross. What's the joy? It was you. It's you. It's you. It's me. I I don't know if we can take it in. I don't know if we can absorb it. I don't, I just. Paul says it's actually beyond. we want you to know the love of God. Though it is beyond knowledge. You can't exhaust it. You can't get it. Our brains are too small. Our hearts don't have the absorbing capacity. We just don't have, we don't have the ability to, to receive how deep his love is. This needs This needs explaining. This needs explaining, and my best explanation is this is the I love you of God. Sin had taken my heart so far from God. Sin was my, is my soul-deadening prison that ke- drags me away from God, and I know there's people who are going to say, no, that's not true. It's true on my end of it, it is. It didn't change God, that's true. Yeah. Didn't change his heart toward me. That's true. Sure changed my ability to see Him clear. <sighs> I, I say this so much. The tragic, broken stuff in your life and mine is not the place I'm supposed to look to see God. We're in a fallen world that doesn't look like heaven. No. Everywhere you look, you see God's will not being done on planet Earth. Which is why when Jesus came, he said, the will of God's arrived in human form. So I'm going to start setting things right. So he undid sin, sickness, alienation, brokenness, separation from God and distance. Where the church said, we prayed and it didn't happen, so it must not be God's will. God's will. Jesus walked in and said, be healed. Where the church said, that person's a moron. Get them out of here. They're dirty. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What's God's great desire? He he wants to be known. He wants to be known. It's just a new thought, isn't it? To sit there in your prayer time and actually think about God as a person with emotions. Emotions. Well, no, not God. Emotions are bad. Emotions are stupid. If I could just turn them off, I would. No, no, we're humans, so our emotions are often unreliable, unreliable, but the fathers aren't. We have them because they're good. He has emotions. Just a new thought, right? Sit there in the morning and instead of what you need, what what you want, what you're afraid of, all the brokenness in the world, maybe sit a minute, let let it be a face-to-face thing and go, okay, God, you want to be known. Which is why I think those, those prayers where Paul says, I want to know Christ, are like mountaintop prayers. Super important prayers. I want to know Him. Yeah, we're going to pray about trauma and tragedy and brokenness and who's sick and who needs Jesus and all that. We're going to pray about all those needs. Those are called petitions. But the deep prayers, guys, the deep prayers, I want to know you. And, if you, and if, when we do know him, we go, oh, you're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. John was in the book. Of Revelation, He's in heaven. He's in heaven. And there's a scroll and no one can unlock the scroll. They look around all of heaven and no one is found worthy to unlock the scroll and release God's will to planet earth. No one is found worthy. And it says there was silence for a half hour in heaven. And I wept and I wept. And then. The lamb. Steps forward. You. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Only you are worthy. Only you are worthy. You are worthy to open the scroll. For you poured out your blood and you redeemed people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. And then that becomes the song of heaven forever. Because through Jesus we've come, like Peter says, to trust in God. Through Jesus, we finally see you, Father. We finally see you, Father. Oh, we want to know you. And when we know you, oh, Jesus. My friend Dennis doesn't say Jesus. He says, my Jesus. My Jesus. He'll walk around when he's praying for people. Mm, mm, mm. My Jesus. And I thought he was weird when I first heard him doing that. Well, there's a bunch of reasons you can think anybody's weird because everyone seems normal until you get to know them. Then you find out we're all crazy. Everybody's weird. Yeah. If you don't think I'm weird, just hang around a little longer. You'll see it. <laughs> well, weird is good. Weird is good. When we know him, when we know him, We cry holy. We cry holy. I'm just going to give you a minute to talk to your Jesus about the cross he took with you as the joy in front of him. So you and him could have a relationship that lasts forever. That lasts forever. Take a minute. Jesus, you are worthy. Only you are worthy. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you took the crown of thorns for me. You took the flogging for me. You took the mocking for me. You took the beating for me. You took the rejection for me. The nails in your hands and feet for me. The scourging for me. For me, it was for me. It was for me. It was for me. I didn't do it to you. You took it on you in love to bring me home, to get the sin off of me. And now, now, Jesus, because of what you've done, because of what you've done, I'm spotless and clean. The death I deserve, you took. The righteous reward for a life of perfect obedience that you earned, I share in because I'm one with you. Jesus, I'm one with you and will never ever be apart. We'll never be apart. We'll never ever be apart. We'll we'll Lord, those times and places where I've denied you like Peter, forgive me. Those times and places where I've been asleep at the wheel when you wanted me to be awake and alert, forgive me, restore me. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to watch and pray. Teach us to watch and pray. Make us like those women, God, who were with you in anything. They didn't back away from the hard stuff. They followed you into the fight in the the hour of darkness when, when everything was going wrong. Make us like those brave, bold, just make us love you so much that we will wade into the dark, unclear waters, not knowing the end not able to see to the other side yet, but we'll go because we love you and we we have no other option. You are our treasure buried in a field, but we are yours. You are our treasure. We are your treasure. You are our pursuit, but we've been your pursuit throughout all history. You've been pursuing us We worship you, Father. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Holy Spirit. What does the prayer team have for the day? What do you got, Stan? Um, If uh, anybody needs to give their heart to Jesus this morning or rededicate their heart to Jesus, um, I want to pray with you. And uh, the other thing is I need to pray for Jen and Skylar. Okay. What else, guys? Anybody else in the prayer team, guys? Hold up. Uh, just um, anyone need more encouragement to keep going, keep moving forward through the storms of life? Anything, Katie? Uh, Jesus had revealed to me when that If I was the last person in earnest, he still would have went to the cross just for me. And if you don't know that reality, if you don't know that reality, don't leave today. Please, I would like to pray with you. Thank you, guys. It's so good to see you. I know we're missing a bunch of people for good reason. I do not take for granted these Sundays I have with you, Gateway. And I don't regret it all, given my one life to Gateway.